Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I'm Kurt Heelan, Managing Editor of Pro Basketball Talk, and today I've got Dane Carball with me, and we are going to be going over your questions from Twitter. You get to direct the show today. It's it's going to be fun because we're going to talk about everything from the proper way to eat a pizza to the NBA draft. Dane, how's it going, man? Uh, good, but now I'm scared now that I don't know what the questions are. <laughs> yeah, well, it gets worse. I hope you have a strong feelings about the proper the proper protein in Parmesan, because we're getting that, uh, parma, you know, like chicken parma or whatever. We're getting to that one, too. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and we want to get this up front and let you know, please go to iTunes, subscribe, comment on these podcasts. Tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like, comment. It's That's the best way to uh, kind of generate more info and get more people checking this out. Also, we're on Stitcher and, of course, at NBCSports.com and Audio Boom. You can find us at any of those spots. So, Dane, let's jump into this. Are you ready for an actual basketball question first? We'll, we'll, we'll do that. Please, give it to me. I need it. All right. It's a draft question. If, if Boston took ball with the number one pick... Do the Lakers take the best talent available or the best pick with Fultz available? Now, I'm going to start here with Boston's going to take Fultz. Like, everything I've heard now is that that's done. It's Fultz and then Ball to the Lakers because the Lakers couldn't pass up Ball even if they thought Josh uh, Josh Jackson kind of graded out better for them. I'm not, I think this is a little bit moot, but hypothetically, wouldn't you just take the best player available anyway if you're the Lakers? Like, you need talent. Well, well, the best player available if the Celtics take ball is Fultz. I, I don't understand, right? Like that's that would definitely be the move, even if you're saying or is the is the idea that there's some sort of conflict there with D'Angelo? Yeah, I don't know. I, there is, and actually, we get into this today on the site. Uh, Rob Doster from uh, the college basketball side has a great lengthy breakdown of the game of Lonzo Ball and how he matches up, and he gets into this a little bit and says. Well, with D'Angelo, you've got two guys who are tall, who I think there's some defensive questions, but they would have to be a lot better on that end together. But they could play. There's a lot of teams playing guards together today, you know, playing essentially two playmaking guards. You've got that in, in, in Golden State. You've got it in Portland. You've got it a bunch of places. The days of this guy creates and number two is just a spot up shooter. Look, it works fine in Washington if you have the right people, but. Nobody's pigeonholing each other that way these days. So I I don't think this is a problem. I think you can get those two guys to play together, or at least if you're the Lakers, you got to try it, right? You're not just going to trade Russell once you draft Paul. 
I'm with you, and I I think the other thing about that, well, there there are two things I would say about that. The first thing is that we take a look at the draft that uh, D'Angelo Russell went in. Uh, there are some a lot of really good players coming out of that draft that are developing. I mean, all, all the way up and down. You know, you have Terry Rozier doing a great job right now in the Eastern Conference Finals for the Celtics. He was drafted 16. But, um, you know, obviously, Russell was a second no, second overall pick, and he's had, as you well know, um, a lot of issues with L.A. Now, is that something that's related to just the talent level that's around him and um, – uh, or is that more of a him problem? Is he going to be a longer developing guy to be like the guy? Um, the Lakers kind of are full of those guys. Julius Randle, um, of course, last year's Brandon Ingram. So, you know, it's like just because he was the number two overall pick doesn't mean you have to sink in all this essentially, um, I don't know, capital, draft capital to say that, oh, we need to give him room and not take, if for, if for some reason you had a chance at Fultz, not take Fultz because of it. I, that, that logic doesn't make any sense to me. And the other part of it is exactly what you said, is that, and, and this kind of, it really very much ties into the other, uh, into the first, first section I was talking about, which is, you know, a lot of these guys haven't sort of, they haven't fleshed out yet. Yeah. So it's like, how could you possibly not take them and play them together? Because you can't you can't go with one over the other. So you might as well try them both at the same time because that's going to be the best move. I think for the most part, um, uh, drafting talent available over team need is the way the NBA is going. Like so far, like especially especially in the lottery, the lottery is very much um, yeah that kind of thing in the NBA still. So it's like, I, I don't see a reason not, he wouldn't go for it, you know? The only time teams really put need in in that discussion deeply is if they grade people out on roughly the same tier. If, if you grade out a point guard and a big, and you say, I think they're going to have roughly the same kind of NBA career and impact, but hey, we need a big, then you go get them. But even in this case, we'll use Boston with the number one pick for an example. You watch them in these playoffs, you're like, man, they need a big. They need somebody inside who can rebound a little better, who can defend the rim. There is, I mean, who's the best big in this in this draft? A true big, Laurie Markkinen or something? Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's you know, down the board a bit. You're not going to pass on Fultz and Ball to draft for need. That would be silly. It's really only in the NBA, if, there's, if things are even, you'll take the need. But talent wins out. I'd rather have too much talent at a position and have to trade some of it or find a way to deal with it than draft a lesser player. And, and, you know, to use the easy example, we don't need Michael Jordan. We've got Clyde Drexler. We'll pass and we'll take Sam Bowie. Uh, Sorry. Sorry to do that to a Portland fan, but I mean, mean, that's the easy one. I was already thinking when you were talking about uh, drafting um, two players that graded out, quote unquote, evenly, I was already thinking about Odin and Durant. And then you had to bring up Clyde and Michael. So thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Exactly. So it kind of, you never quite know. I think obviously the other question, by the way, just on a side note with the Lakers going into this, and, and this is the Rob Polinka Magic Johnson, big question for them, which is, can the Lakers become a, a team that develops talent? That has not been their strong suit over the years. They've kind of bought finished products and they could because of the market and everything else. Yes, they, de- they look, they drafted and developed Kobe, but I, Kobe developed himself in a lot of ways. They did okay with Bynum. They've had moments with stars. But if you're really a successful NBA team, if you look at what's going on in Utah and Golden State right now, it's not just, look, Golden State's ability to draft and develop Curry. It's, can you develop role players? Can you draft somebody at 22 
and have them become a decent rotation player down the line. Like, you know, Patrick McCaw is working out great, you know, pretty well for Golden State right now. Those kind of picks, those kind of things are what sustain teams like San Antonio over long periods of time. We'll see if the Lakers can be that kind of franchise, if they can do that under Luke Walton and the new management. Uh, I mean, to me, that's the big question. You're going to have three number two picks on this team. Like, can you build that into something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? I, I agree with you. And just, uh, again, not to get too much into a diversion, but we're kind of down a line. Uh, you know, I, I, I wonder if that era of the NBA is just completely gone. Because you know, I'm looking at, the, say, the top teams in both conferences. Yeah. There are no teams that have won. There are no teams that have been successful without uh, drafting at least some important part of their team. So, you know, the Raptors, uh, you know, traded for Lowry, but, you know, they, they drafted DeMar. Yeah. You know, it's like, or they they obviously LeBron and Love and everybody, but they drafted Kyrie. You know, it's like they ha- all these teams have that same thing. Golden State, they drafted most of their uh, excellent players. Same as San, San Antonio, uh, Houston, sure, um, James Harden, but who is a critical part of James Harden's success this year? Clint Capella. Yeah, it's like, um, so it's like, uh, man, I, I just don't know if the, the era of being able to sort of uh, trade and then sign for a whole new team is going to be like a thing anymore. So hopefully the Lakers are going to be able to figure that out if uh, fans want that team to be any good anymore. Yeah. Well, uh, by the way, that was the question on there. I totally forgot to do that at the beginning. The question was from King Bob or at Born Ready 93 who take hook, took us down the ball and Laker um, <laughs> rabbit hole there for a while. We, we, we'll move on from that rabbit hole and we'll move on to a question from Brian Young or at Brian is the King. Who is Miami targeting in the draft? Are they considering moving up? Miami's in that weird, like, I feel bad for them spot where you're the <laughs> last team to get in. Like, you are, mm-hmm. you're 14, you know, um, you're, you're not, you're not going up. Uh, we had in our mock draft them getting uh, Justin Jackson from North Carolina. We're going to redo that mock in a few weeks and see how it goes. But I liked him a lot watching him uh during the tournament, that's kind of the first time I got a look at him. Probably the best floater I've seen in a college player in a long time, especially for a guy with long arms. can kind of get into the lane and do that. Uh, Draft Express, I think, has him taking the same guy, but there would be other guys, interesting guys, available in that era area. Um, you know, O.G. Anube, I believe it is, uh, he, from Indiana, could be there. Luke Kennard, who can shoot the rock out of out of Duke, is might be there. Jared Allen's got a lot of potential if you want to develop somebody the Texas freshman big man so there's some interesting pieces that probably are on the board it's kind of how Miami grades them out and Miami's a team not averse to taking a risk and and, and seeing if they can they can turn somebody into a, a great player I think Miami's also at the part of the draft where sort of related to what we first started talking about is do, could they take a, a player for um need rather than talent since they are with the last pick in the um uh lottery yeah. you know it's like they could do that especially with the way their team makeup is like miami's so fluid they had such a weird start to the season such a great finish to the season but they barely missed the playoffs because of some tiebreaker and yada 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 and who are they going to keep and um you know the emergence of some players over the last 30 games and i think those things are too fluid for us to maybe uh, no, in terms of a good prediction. So if you take that that into account, then it does get a little weird because I think you could take a look at yeah a lot of those guys down there like uh, you know Kennard and Allen Collins, um, Justin Jackson I think is yeah like you said like that's that's what uh, we graded about to take. I mean it's like 
there are a lot of places they could go because they have a lot of needs. And so, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's hard to say. It is hard to say. I will also add to the second part of that, the moving up thing. Mm-hmm. You don't really see that a ton in the NBA. You don't see... I mean, occasionally teams will move up a few spots to get somebody they really like, especially later in the first round. They'll they'll tag on a future second or something to go up and get, you know, if they're 22nd and they want somebody at 18. But it's not that common. It's not like Miami is going to jump into the top five because that would require a massive asset that they had, you know, they don't want to give up if they've even got one that's good enough to do that. So I, I think that they probably pretty much stay put where they are. They've got they've got a really interesting offseason in just in terms of free agency. The How much do you want to pay Dion Waiters question? Lose over them. <laughs> like, like how, how much do you believe in what he did last year? How much, I mean, what, it's a good question, Dan. I mean, how much do you think he makes? I mean, somebody's going to come in big with him, right? Are, are they? I think the question was really going to be for, like, for an offer externally or internally is really going to be sort of that, uh, real basic intrapersonal scouting, getting that information as a GM or, or a pro scout, say like, okay, so what is his attitude really like? What do I see reflected on the floor? Uh, you know, essentially, is he a, is he a real life version of all the memes we've made about him on Twitter? Or is he like a real human being? Has he matured over the course of his, uh, you know, the few seasons he's been in the NBA, that kind of thing. Like, uh, and that's really information that, you know, I guess, you know, we could as journalists get that information over time, but uh, we don't know without actually specifically doing that research and making those calls yet. So yeah. that's going to be the real thing. I mean, if so, if it turns out he's not, um, you know, saying, OK, he's he's not going to be any kind of like real knucklehead or goober or quit or any of that kind of stuff like that you might hope with somebody who's a little um, I, I don't know what, the, what what to call them, a little flighty yeah. um, as, as you know, waiters. Uh then okay, then you're looking at a, a pretty significant offer, especially as I, I don't think I think we're, the, the salary cap is projected to be uh, possibly be uh, flat in coming years after this one, and then yeah. possibly take a dip, um, you know, in in coming years after that. And I don't think teams have. Eventually, we will see because we saw the huge leap and and everything that's going on uh, last year. Um, so we'll we I think we'll still see teams go in that direction, and we won't see. Eventually, we will see teams pull back in prediction of uh, a flattening out or mm-hmm. a or a tip back down. And so those those deals maybe won't seem so crazy as they get like leveled out. Like everyone sort of has that Evan Turner seventeen million. Oh my God, why does Evan Turner have seventeen million dollars deal? But and so mm-hmm. De- Deion Waiters is probably going to be. He has to be somewhere in that range, right? Given his age, and and if you you are like, especially if you're an external team coming to sign him, yeah. you're definitely giving him that range because you're trying to take him away. Yeah, you, you've got you're going to have to be north of 15, I think, to steal him, and yeah, in multiple years. And I think that the question becomes: a look, I think what Miami helped him do was two things. And you saw his, if you followed him on Instagram, you've seen he loves to he's <laughs> post about this. He did get in better shape, like, and Miami mm-hmm. is one of those. They're big on conditioning. They're big on very specific things, uh, conditioning-wise. It, look, it impacted LeBron's career. It impacted a lot of people's career. They are really good at that, uh, getting guys in shape. Getting they have a great not only the the physical training side, but also their their medical staff. They do as good a job as anybody in the league. So that helped. But also, he just had the ball in his hands a lot. They needed somebody to score, and the way things were going, they're like, "Hey, all right, Dion, go." And he was just. Good and a little more efficient at it than we expected, but he's always been willing to shoot. 
I just will he do that in the same system in a different situation? If you're if you're trying to put him with somebody who's already going to have the ball in their hands, how's that really going to go? I think it's really a question of fit before you start to come in and think about, you know, look the, to use an easy example. There's no fit on the Wizards. Like he's like right. why why would you know? There's certain teams where you're like, okay, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Or if you're, you know, we just talked about uh, the Lakers to use an up and coming team, about any Milwaukee, Utah, any of these up and coming teams. Again, why am I taking the ball out of more efficient players' hands or players I want to develop out of their hands so I can watch Deion Waiters score? So my guess is he stays, honestly, but I'm curious what the number will ultimately be and how far Pat Riley is willing to go. Like, is somebody going to come in at 15 or 18 over the top and surprise everybody? I think, by the way, in your reference to how much money everybody spent last year, there's a sobering. There is a real sobering when you talk to the, the people I've talked to around the league about, yeah, that got a little out of hand. And there's some contracts yeah. <laughs> we regret. There's, I mean, there's always a couple in the summer and somebody's always got, a, somebody always becomes drunk sailor and spends some money, but it, it was much bigger scale last year. I don't think you're going to see that again. I think there were teams spending money to spend money. And so you end up with, you know, Evan Turner's contract, Timofey Mozgov's contract. Just there's a whole bunch of them last year. You're like, really? What? There were there were a lot of those, and I don't know that you're going to see that kind of somebody. There'll be a couple head shakers this year, but and there's some there's some tough questions like how much do you really want to spend on Otto Porter type questions out there. Mm-hmm. But there's going how about to be Brooklyn. Brooklyn is the Brooklyn. one team, but I thought their choices were interesting because remember they came in last year. For people who don't remember, they went after some restricted free agents last year um, and made teams either match. And but I thought that their choices weren't bad, even those though. I mean, they went for Alan Crabb. Uh, I, I think he can have a bounce back year in Portland. I think he's better than he played last year. Um, they went after Tyler Johnson, if I remember from Miami. These are guys who were pretty good and had some promise, um, and then really didn't have great years. But I don't think are like I'm not writing them off yet as like oh we gave them money and that was a mistake. Um, the, I think you're going to see them go after some restricted guys this year again, too. I, they've still got a ton of cap space, no draft picks, no way to genuinely get better outside of doing stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Cool. Well, that was that, that was my thought, though. Yeah, uh, well, I'm glad I can steal that from you. So we will, <laughs> we will move on from Brian. We will go to Jared, JaredJ831 on Twitter, who asked the question you were fearing. Fold pizza and eat the crust first, or like a normal human being? Eat the crust first. So it's folded and backwards? Yeah. Is that what we're talking about? Yes. No, who eats pizza like that? Exactly. If those are the only two options, the option is definitely the second one. Come on. Well, exactly. Don't be crazy. Look, I. this is, I think, comes off of, as somebody who watches entirely too much Food Network, like when I'm working at home, writing, texting, doing whatever, if there's not a basketball game on in the background... Like, if I have the TV on, and actually one of my favorite things is coming up this time of year, like, Tour de France is one of my favorite things to have on the background while I'm working during the day. That's a good idea. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually great because you look up, I'm like writing, and I look up, I'm like, oh, hey, there's a beautiful town. Where is that? I'd like to visit that someday. Uh Or if if something like somebody crashes or, you know, it's the sprint at the end of the race, you look up. Otherwise, it's just beautiful scenery after beautiful scenery. So it's kind of like a, it's like a travel log for me. It's the the Rick Steves of, 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 of sports. Um. But Food Network's on all the time, and they have this guy who comes on and says, I guess it's a web series they do that I haven't really watched called You're Eating It Wrong. And one of his things was other ways to eat pizza. But to me, if you're eating a New York-style pizza, there's one way to eat it. You fold it up and you eat from the pointy end end. I don't, 
I don't get any other option. You know, I, if you're using a knife and fork, you're doing it wrong. Like, yeah. If, yeah, I, I've never heard. I've never heard specifically folding and then crust first. I think that's weird. Obviously, it depends on what kind of pizza you're eating. Like, it's not like you're gonna, if you're gonna sadly make your own Totino's pizza or whatever, you're not gonna like fold up these little cardboard squares and have it break on you and then and then eat it backwards. Just, there's no there's no accounting for that. So I think it's yeah. I, but I've never I've never eaten pizza backwards. Anyways, I mean it's like because you uh, yeah, if for me it's got it's all about the crust at the end becoming a breadstick. Yeah. And then having something to dip it in—that's my whole. That's my whole thing. I, I really, I really only play as I get older. I think I just play. You know, I play the game one way, and that's pretty much it. So, yeah. I, I will. I will offer this confession. By the way, I like Chicago style pizza way better than New York. Like, and I. This is crazy. Yeah, sorry. I I like the thick crust stuff, and I, I don't eat it. There's a, actually a good one, not too far from me uh, here in Long Beach, uh, but I don't eat it all that often because it's. It's taken unhealthy pizza to a new level. Like, hey, let's take everything that's unhealthy about pizza and then add more carbs to it. Like, it's it doesn't it doesn't really work for me anymore. So I rarely go that way. But given my druthers, I prefer Chicago style pizza to New York. Which I should have I should have asked that in my interview. Which yes. I should have been I should that should have been the thing. I'm just gonna add it to it. The way I don't end up with some weirdo who likes Chicago style pizza better. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. You don't want to work <laughs> for those kind of people, man. <laughs> I had it, I had it for the first time after uh, I. Um, uh, I was at a friend's wedding, a very, uh, ex- ex- uh, very small wedding. It was eight people. So uh, I took photos of it for him, and my girlfriend married them. And they're from Chicago. They live in Portland, and we had it for the first time. They had they did the thing where they like flew it out or whatever from yeah. Chicago. And I was yeah. like, this lasagna tastes good. <laughs> that's pretty much it. You know, it's like saucy lasagna. It's not bad. It's not bad because the ingredients are not bad. So you know. Yeah, you can get those. I've never actually done that. I know you can get from the like. Malnati's or Gino's or some of those. I know they fly them out, but I've never actually done that either. Um, it just seems like now I'm eating frozen pizza again. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't right. work for me. So, all right, we will move on back to Jeffrey Goldstein, Jeff slash Gold, um, Jeff underscore Goldstein one with a sort of basketball question, but it, it takes us down the Knicks rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> he's like, and it, 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 Jeffrey clearly joking. Uh, was like Carmelo for Gallinari, Wilson, Chandler, and the lottery pick. I think the Knicks would do that, basically. Um, yes, except that Gallinari is a free agent, and he will opt out of the 16 mil, uh, so you can just go get him. Uh, which, you know, I think if the Knicks went and, like, re-signed Gallinari, there, there's a beautiful bit of irony there. Um, yeah, well. <laughs> um, yeah, but I'm, not, I, I'm not sure Phil, Phil has the attachment to him. Now, does he fit the triangle? Actually, he might. I mean, stretch big, kind of. Uh, yeah. you, you, you could in you could in some ways use him, but I think this goes down the to the bigger question, which is the Knicks want to get rid of Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony appears ready to move on. If I'm Phil Jackson, and I, look, I can't explain a lot of things they've done this summer. Like, how do you not go and knock on the door? of Kristaps uh, Porzingis after he skips the interview and say, hey, dude, we got to talk. Like, mm-hmm. we can't leave it like this. I'm not letting you go to Latvia for the entire summer without talking to me. That's just, like, how do you do that with your franchise player is beyond me. But aside that, in this case, just talk to Leon Rose and say, all right, look, we kind of want to move him. You have specific landing spots. See what you can find. Go find a deal and let's talk about it. But yeah. the second part of that is, 
Is there a deal out there? Like, what would you really give up for Carmelo Anthony? Well, that, that's that's the the big problem for me is that if the if the Clippers thing didn't happen this last year, that was the only place I thought it would be rational for him to land. Because the problem with a lot of the good teams in the NBA, essentially the places where Carmelo would be happy waving, you know, waving his no trade clause in order to land, don't want a player like Carmelo Anthony. They don't need him. That that or the Bulls, I suppose. But since those two places didn't really happen, I, I can't see a team that's good enough because essentially they got there because they're smart. Uh, for the most part, for him to land, and much less salary considerations, trading back assets. You know, like I mean, a lot of the teams that we have sort of in the middle. Let's say you're looking to add, um, instead of Marquise, you wanted you wanted Carmelo in Washington. It's okay. Well, what do you have to send back to New York for Washington when you already have? I mean, the whole problem with the Wizards is in playoffs was they had an exceptionally thin bench that made them look as exposed at times when they didn't have uh, Wall and B on the floor at the same time. So. Um, it's like those teams don't want to trade for him, and it's like, does Carmelo want to go to, you know, the fifth seat? Does he want to go to Atlanta and play with Dwight? Does he want to go uh, <laughs> play in Indiana? It's like, I, I don't think so. So it's like I, I don't really see a combination of those things working. So I think they're in a really tough spot to be able to swap him out anywhere, uh, much less. If, and the second part of the question is, what do you give for Carmelo? It's like honestly, not much. I don't, I don't leverage. Essentially, I don't leverage any part of my future. Uh, yeah, so again, and you, you know this, when it comes to trades in the NBA, a lot of times it's simply about timing, where if you didn't want to trade a guy eight months ago, now in eight, you know, eight months later you're looking at it like, uh, I don't think he fits in with our new plans because player C developed, so we don't need player B, and that moves player A to that guy's spot, so you know, it looks yeah. like he's out. You know, So I feel like you're still waiting on that to happen, and it's not immediately clear what team that would be yet, but things get weird come draft time you know they do I think what's going to be interesting is the Clippers look they have bigger priorities this summer they've got to resign Chris Paul they've got to decide if they're going to resign Blake Griffin and and to be fair Blake Griffin's got to decide if he wants to come back (laughs) like he has that option too I I don't think they're either of them are dying to leave but if you're Steve Ballmer and you bring those two back you probably can't bring Redick back and all sorts of issues it gets expensive right um at that point would I consider if I let's say I'm the Clippers and I re-sign Paul and Griffin? Would I consider bringing Melo into that if I can trade a couple of bench guys for him? That I that I'm not and again their bench isn't great, but I'm not totally sold on. Maybe, maybe I'll do it, but I'm not giving like you said. I can't give up. I, look, I'm in a win now place. I've got to make this team stronger. I can't give up a lot of assets for it. So, um, so I don't know that they can. My guess is the more and more I talk to people, the more I think about it, especially, do they just end up buying him out? Does he take a discount to just get bought out? They stretch and wave, they wave and stretch him so he's not as big a hit on their cap over time. And then he takes, I don't know, what would Carmelo get on the open market right now? Let's say, let's say he takes 15 or 18 million somewhere or, or, or even less to go you know, to the Clippers and fit into what's left of their cap space or whatever, um, or, or somewhere else. But I think that that almost seems like the more logical outcome to me than, than him getting traded because they're literally going to get... I, they're not going to get enough back from any team that would actually want him. And nobody wants... 
you know, part of that is nobody really wants to take on that contract. Like nobody, you know, yeah. you've got to, you've, if you're going to trade for him, you've got to find a way to match that salary. Like, right. How am which I going to do that? Which is damn near impossible given, given the situation that a lot of teams that are one that he would want to go to because yeah. they're most good teams uh, don't have gobs of cap space just floating around. So it's like, okay, you're looking at a, an even trade or moving significant amount of players, which is like, Again, the way the NBA is now, there's not a lot of albatross contracts to be able to sort of swap directly over for. You know, there's a lot of not a lot of uh, Ray Florence's just like yeah. lying around getting paid twelve million dollars and you don't know why. Um, but he's great, great for trade bait. So um, yeah, like so if they stretch him, you know, you're looking at like fifteen, sixteen million dollars of the cap hit for the Knicks uh, for him instead of you know twenty six and twenty seven for the next two years, uh, which is a lot better. But uh, I still I feel like it, it has to be pretty low. I mean, not 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 some sort of embarrassing low amount. Like, like what's the what's the MLE for next year? I believe it's. Um, I want to say they, it was bumped up with the new CBA to a north of closer to seven or eight, but I am not positive seven. about that off the top of my head. So I would I would say it's, it's like a a little more than like ten percent more than that. Yeah, fifteen percent more than that. That's what I would say. It's MLE plus fifteen percent. That's that's as low as you could go for it's not embarrassing because he can't make he can't match the MLE at all. That, that would that would be embarrassing for Carmelo at this yeah. stage, yeah. so he wouldn't take that. But he so we have to find a place to do that. So which I still think puts, I mean I still think that puts the Clippers or like specifically the Clippers in a pinch to be able to sign him. Yep. So, um, you know I don't know I, I but I think now that you say it that is the one that makes the most sense because it seems like we've been we've been in a, a deadlock with this thing for the entire season. Yep. And Carmelo has. All the cards, and the Knicks do not. Well, Phil Jackson doesn't realize the game he's playing, apparently, or something. I don't, I don't know. He what thinks he's they're thinking. playing Uno, I believe. Yeah, yeah exactly. He, he thinks they're playing Uno, so um, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what he thinks he's going to be able to do. But Carmelo can just sit there and take his checks. So uh, I, that one is the one that makes the most sense. Um, but man, I, I, yeah, that, that, that was make, make, is the one that makes the most sense. I'm, I'm going to go with that as the actual answer. Yeah, exactly. I just don't see where he gets moved to. The handful of places he'd be willing to go, like you said, they're just San Antonio's going to trade for him. Really? No, like he's not going. <laughs> like there's just there's the places he might be willing to go to win aren't going to happen. Chris Paul to San Antonio. You know, we that rumor's out there now. Um, I'll just quickly say, I can see why Chris Paul will take that interview. To me. Chris Paul was president of the Players Union, got the over 36 rule, which meant you couldn't give a max player a contract past age 36, essentially. Um, Got the over 36 rule, changed to the over 38 rule in the new collective bargaining agreement, specifically so he could get one more five-year max deal. Are you going to go through all that and then walk away from the Clipper money? Really? Like, I just can't imagine that... As much as I think he'll probably take a couple meetings and talk about wanting to win... He is not going to go through all that and then not take the money. Well, and I think, I mean, obviously this was consideration to how the Spurs went out, but I think yeah. there's more pause <laughs> now given the performance of Mark Aldridge, which I don't necessarily think is entirely his fault, given that who else did the Warriors have to keep the, you know, the second yeah. best defense in the NBA have to key on other than Lamarcus Aldridge in that uh, series. But um, Lamarcus Aldridge's performance in that series uh, in a couple of those games when they really needed him, uh, I don't think inspired any additional confidence um, for Chris Paul. So it's like, uh, you know, is he going to be better there than uh, in L.A. when he where he makes 
gobs more money, um, you know, maybe for him, that point is moot. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I, I just, I, I think he'll be torn between the want desire to win. And then ultimately he'll be convinced that he can still do that. The problem, I mean, the problem with staying in the West is simply that in the East, there's a sense that, Hey, in a few years, LeBron will, the cyborg will like fade. Like mm-hmm. he's 32 with a zillion miles on it. Like he's just ridiculous amounts of mileage because of all the playoff runs and stuff. And this will be seven straight trips to the finals. And as unbelievable a physical specimen as he is, as well as he keeps himself in shape, there's going to be breakdown. There's going to be decline. And that there's a sense that that's going to happen sooner than Golden State's decline, where Curry and Durant and Draymond are at the peak of their games, right? And 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 Clay Thompson are all pretty much peak, and they're going to be there for mm-hmm. a few more years. I mean, the only question about their that core four going forward is can they afford to keep Thompson in a few years? Right. I mean, that's that's the only question. Isn't it? Isn't like will they? But even if you look, even if they can't keep Thompson, that's the most replaceable of the skill sets in some ways. Like he look, I don't want to take away from him being a borderline all-NBA player or an all-NBA player in the past, borderline this year, uh, in, you know, top 15, top 20 NBA kind of guy. But he shoots and he defends really well. That's more replaceable than what Curry does or Durant does or Draymond does. So you can let... If you're going to try to replace one of them, it would be him. But even so, you're still... You take him out of the picture and put an average shooting guard in there, and that's still a ridiculously good team for a number of right. years going forward. So I, if you really want to win, is it easier to get out of the West and just hope like, yeah, well, and that's the question for me going back to the five year thing and combining it with that is that we, we see Gary Payton, we Carl Malone. We see a lot of players do this like greats, hall of famers, uh, maybe the best their position for a period of time, you know, in the league. Um, try to win championships later. So is that still not something that Chris Paul knows, you know, his repaired knees better than anybody and his shoulder and all that kind of stuff, but uh, his fingers. Um, but he is that not something he could do after his five-year contract? You know, couldn't he ring chase later? Because I, I feel like there's also this idea of uh, – there's there's a thing in the NBA that I, I, I don't quite understand, but I think that's because it changes from player to player, and it's – how does a ring, one ring, change your legacy, especially if you're not the best player on a team? And what is the variance in how much it matters if you are part of the team or a hanger-on, if you're you know, Tracy McGrady on the Spurs that one year? Uh, what does it matter? What does it uh, help you do in terms of your legacy? Does it help you, uh, you know, when you own a car dealership or a bunch of car dealerships later, does that help you say, you know, come to world champion Chris Paul's car dealership. It's like, what is that? How does that factor in for each player? And I think it's different. And so when I look at the NBA, I do think that the Warriors are pretty much going nowhere. Obviously, the they're trying to make changes so that the Kevin Durant thing doesn't happen again. But guess what? He's already there. So and like you said, like the big question is really, really only Clay. And I don't think they're kind of going anywhere anytime soon. So it's like, if I'm Chris Paul, I think it makes the most sense to take the money. You did all that hard work trying to get into the next CBA anyways for yourself. Take the money. And then if you really want to ring chase, do that anyways. Because I don't think you're going to be able to uh, will whatever team you're at 
right now uh, alone uh, into uh, getting that championship ring as sort of the top player, you know, one of the best point guards in the NBA kind of guy because there's just too many roadblocks. So uh, it seems to make sense for him just to make the most money. Exactly. And also, by the way, you can't, he does have the option of, hey, I'm going to take the max contract, but I want a player option it, you know, after Mm -hmm. three years, after four years, whatever. Um, Yeah. Take the five-year max and then decide in four years, hey, I do want to ring chase for a couple years. Opt out right. and, and, and go David West somewhere. All right, we'll move on to uh, the, the real important questions that came from this. For people who don't know on Twitter, when I asked for these questions, uh, one of the first ones I asked was, just I put out a series of other questions. Fultz versus Ball, LBJ versus KD, chicken parm versus eggplant parm, and... Willie W. from Wonka Talk Sports, at Wonka Talk Sports, goes, don't forget veal parm. I'm not really a what? veal parm guy. I know it exists, but I'm not a veal parm guy. I'm Honestly, I like eggplant parm better than chicken. Okay, I, you're, I'm going to defer to you on this one because you're the one, like, you know, when I travel stuff, you're giving me recommendations for food. I'm going to defer to you because uh, I am not a parm sandwich eater i don't know maybe that's just a west coast thing i mean you're a west coast guy too but like mm-hmm. I, that's just not like a thing anywhere i've lived i don't think so it's like it's not like a sandwich it's normally it's like eating pasta as a sandwich it's like never something i've really eaten that much so i've never had an eggplant parm so i, I can't even give an opinion uh, i i will tell you actually i make it when i bake it at home which is rare just because it's more work than i'm usually willing to put in yeah. um, but I actually thinly slice the eggplant like on a mandolin and then layer it almost like lasagna rather than a parm. See, this right? is what I'm saying. You own a mandolin. <laughs> yeah, I I have a I have way too many cooking toys because nobody knows. Like all I do is watch basketball and then like like to cook. So it's it's I have tons of cooking toys in the house, most of which go wildly unused. The final question we're going to go with from Keith Izzeri. After I I actually ask about uh, some my new rabbit hole television show. I'm into Mr. Robot and. I just started streaming that the other day, and I'm like, holy cow, this is good. Um, at least the first season, and I'm only partially through that. And I asked everybody if it was really good, and Keith Azari says, with, him, with how much stuff you put out, come on, we, what we all want to know is, what's your caffeine drink of choice? Coffee, green tea, Red Bull, Monster, other? Um, I probably don't use as much caffeine as you think. Uh, I'm not, I'm like, I have a biological predisposition for lack of better words but like high blood pressure runs in my family so it's something i'm conscious of so i don't go to the caffeine card unless i need it often though i go to maybe the worst for you form of caffeine it's it's diet coke if i'm gonna go with caffeine um but old school yeah uh, occasionally but if otherwise i kind of prefer teas green tea occasionally chai tea i'm don't love coffee um i'll do it but Uh it's not my favorite i'm 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 and i'm the only time I'll go to a monster or energy drink is if I have a long late night drive I have to do because those things just will wire me for three days. It's like crazy. Yeah. I, I, I made the switch off of coffee. Uh, I drank coffee. How do you live in Portland and not drink coffee? Uh, okay. Well, I, I drank coffee forever. I, you know, got turned on to it. I was, you know, way back, back in college and stuff. I was working at Starbucks and had a, a girlfriend who worked there with beach and I start, she made me start drinking coffee essentially. So, uh, I drank coffee up until about a year ago and I just stopped because, 
something about the way it delivered caffeine to me it was just like even if i drank decaf you know because there's still some in it it just like uh, made me sick to my stomach i couldn't handle it so i just kind of didn't do anything for about a year and then i've been trying to make sure that um i can get through all the tasks i need to get through in a day recently and so the one that i've been going to maybe 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 this one is actually the worst one for you i think we'll uh, we'll have to uh google this afterwards but uh sugar-free red bull is oh. my favorite. In fact, I have one in my hand as we speak. So <laughs> <laughs> it's that's a perfect timing for this one. But uh, it's something about how it delivers it to me is like I feel definitely feel uh, wired, but not any way that makes me like um, nauseous or uh, shaky. So there's something about it different for me for coffee. Uh, and so like that's definitely my favorite one. And I actually think it. I got, I don't like the taste of Monster or any of that kind of stuff. But red something about the way Red Bull tastes is like delicious to me. So I'm uh, I'm about it. But I don't have it every day. I don't I don't need it. Like when I quit coffee, I didn't miss it at all. I I love the flavor of coffee, but the uh, like the energy boost from coffee is like that was never a thing. So it was not difficult for me to stop. Yeah, I think I'm in the minority on that. Yeah, I have coffee here. My wife is one of those. She is a like a former you, I guess, a, a coffee connoisseur. Uh, Long Beach, California has this actually great coffee culture with a couple of not only great coffee shops, but like fantastic local roasters. Um, and so we, she gets two different kinds of coffee delivered to our house from local roasters and French presses every morning. Like um, she, she's very picky about her coffee and her day does not start any day, weekend, whatever, until she's had coffee. Um, I'm, I'm not that person, but I'm not. I like I'm okay with coffee, but like the stuff she makes, I is marginally better to me than the stuff at the donut shop down right. the street, and I just like it doesn't it, it doesn't work for me that way. I by the way, I'm with you. I can't stand the taste of Monster uh, or mm-hmm. any of those. It literally will only drink it when I when I need to be up uh, for an extended period of time. I, I yeah. years ago in a previous life, I, I uh, as working for a journal as a journalist, I went on a. Uh, about two days out in, with firefighters fighting uh, forest fires out on the front line for kind of a, a longer wow. piece for a, a, a newspaper. And those guys, like Monster donates to them when they're sitting <laughs> in these, these. You go to their, their kind of stage HQ areas, and there's just cases of Monster there. And these guys are going to be up for 48 straight hours fighting fires, and they are just putting it away. And I'm like, I had one. I was like, holy crap. Well, this does stuff to my body. Like I was not prepared yeah. for where that, where all that energy was going to take me. I'm like, oh, a- well, see, and that's that's why I like Red Bull is because it's small. It's like yeah. not like a thing you're drinking. It's like let's get this out of the way kind of thing. Yeah. I, uh, but I did. I this actually reminds me. This is the craziest. This is the craziest person I've ever seen uh, drink this. She's uh, a great person. She doesn't do it anymore, but she was the lead newscaster when I worked in TV news in Eugene. She was the the lead newscaster. She was the, the main anchor. Um, and she was, you know, uh, a single mom, and uh, was the, you know, the lead newscaster, and how's all these things going on? And so she, um, she had, uh, you know, two little girls, and so she drank so much amp, like her. We had this, these big old school cubicles uh, in this newsroom with like, so like a lot of desk space, and she would pile up. I'm, I mean, probably twenty or thirty cans, like empty cans of amp. She would drink. She would get there, you know, at uh, two, like, you know, her shift is two to two to ten or something like that, two to eleven. She would probably drink four of them a day. Jeez. I mean, it was like crazy where I was just thinking, I, I don't know what it effect, affects like your liver, your kidneys are one of them. But like maybe both of them are just completely shrunken. I was just like, man, it was crazy. It was that's, nuts. Yeah, that's that's kind of nice. By the way, do you ever do vodka and Red Bull? No, 
that we've talked about. Me and my girlfriend have talked about that. I just why I can't I can't imagine. I can't okay. imagine. Okay, yeah, I'm not I'm not either. So I thought I'd that's one I've never tried. <laughs> so I thought I'd ask. Now that we've thoroughly diverged from basketball, thanks for doing this, Dane. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Next time I have you on, we'll we'll try something crazy like a basketball topic. Uh, we will be back next week with the Pro Basketball Talk podcast, um, and we're going to be doing some breakdowns of the uh, NBA Finals. Uh, we just got that. Uh, didn't get to a lot of that today because this. Uh, the conference finals were not uh, not thrilling, let's be honest. Um, yeah. But next week, we'll be breaking down the NBA finals, and there'll be a lot of content on that up at Pro Basketball Talk from Dane and myself and Dan. So keep an eye out for that, and thank you for listening. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.